Company. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. Perhaps of all the characters in the Bible, the one we can identify with best is Peter. Paul seems to me as I read about him, most of the time he appears to be a pillar of strength with no human frailties. You ever get that feeling when you read about the Apostle Paul? This fellow is Superman. He's a spiritual Superman. And John is called the Son of Thunder. And he simply communicates in his letters with specific, no-nonsense language. James is very blunt. James is a type of person who simply lays the issues down before you and tells you this is the way it is. There's no question about it. He just gets right to the point. But Peter is very human. He has frailties. I suppose I like him because he's the type of fellow you feel like if you were alive today, you can put your arm around him and say, Peter, I know what it's like to blow it because I do it all the time. I know what it's like to make those mistakes. I know what it's like to open mouth, insert foot. I know what it's like to say those unwise things that you wish you had never even thought of, let alone say it. I know what it's like to favorite Bible character? Or maybe I should ask if you have a favorite New Testament character other than Jesus. You know, I think Peter would come to mind for a lot of people because of several reasons. Welcome to Verse by Verse featuring the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff. We're starting a new series called Our Living Hope taken from 1 Peter. You know, Peter was a genuine person. You always knew what you were going to get with Peter. He was outspoken, sometimes to his detriment, but he also gives us a great picture of loving Jesus, imperfectly. Peter was not the calm one among the disciples, but he was a man of action, even though there were times when that brought a rebuke from Jesus. He might remind us of a preschooler who wants to know everything all at once. Peter asked a lot of why questions of Jesus. And you could say Peter had a lot of spiritual ups and downs, However, he learned, and he was powerfully used by God in the spread of the gospel. We're going to learn some things about Peter in these early lessons, and I think what we will see is that God used events in Peter's life to shape him and bring him to the place where he would be able to write 1 Peter. Let's jump into today's lesson, and here is Pastor Steve. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, if you'll follow along with me as I read. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
perhaps of all the characters in the Bible, the one we can identify with best is Peter. Paul seems to me, as I read about him, most of the time he appears to be a pillar of strength with no human frailties. You ever get that feeling when you read about the Apostle Paul? This fellow is Superman. He's a spiritual Superman. And John is called the Son of Thunder. And he simply communicates in his letters with specific, no-nonsense language. James is very blunt. James is a type of person who simply lays the issues down before you and tells you this is the way it is. There's no question about it. He just gets right to the point. But Peter is very human. He has frailties. I suppose I like him because he's the type of fellow you feel like if you were alive today, you can put your arm around him and say, Peter, I know what it's like to blow it because I do it all the time. I know what it's like to make those mistakes. I know what it's like to open mouth, insert foot. I know what it's like to say those unwise things that you wish you had never even thought of, let alone say it. I know what it's like, Peter. Peter is the one who always asked the Lord questions. He was the one who everywhere you go in the Bible, it seems like Peter has a question to ask the Lord. He said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. But he asked the question, whom shall we go, Lord? Where? He was the one who said, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. He wanted to know. He's also the one at the Last Supper who said, who is it, Lord, who betrays you? It seems like Peter was the one very inquisitive. He's the one like us, always wondering what the next step the Lord's going to take. Not the one to just rest in what the Word says. He's the one who has to know all the ins and outs. Why is God doing this? Why that? Why this trial? Why that trial? He's also painted in Scripture as an emotional man. He's not one with a very calm temperament. He's not one probably like Barnabas that very little seems to have ruffled Barnabas. But he's one who was emotional. He often reacts in anger. He's the one who in anger he told the Lord that he shouldn't die. When the Lord said, it's necessary that I go to the cross, it was Peter who responded in anger and not sanctified anger. God forbid, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus recognized that it wasn't sanctified anger because he said, get behind me, Satan, for you don't know what you're talking about. It was also Peter who in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the authorities came to take Christ, it was Peter who took out his sword and slashed off the ear of the servants of the high priest. He was a man also that was up and down in his spiritual experience. I suppose that's why most of us can relate to him. He was not the type of individual that was steady. He was up and down, high and lows. He had been to the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration in his experience, and he had been down in the depths. Now maybe something you didn't realize was that Simon, as his given name was, Simon, son of Jonah, Simon was a Galilean. And Galilee, the province, was the center of messianic hopes in Palestine. The simple people and peasants who lived in that area clung tenaciously to the word of God. The word of God which stated that Messiah would come someday, and when he comes, he would usher in God's kingdom. And these people hated the Roman overlords. They hated that Rome had invaded their precious area, and they believed that one day when Messiah came, he would overthrow Rome and end Palestine's occupation by these overlords. Now the day finally came that Simon would meet Jesus the Messiah. What a great day it was for him, and we find the Word of God teaches us about it in John chapter 1. From a boy, he had been raised to believe Messiah was coming. 
the day finally came. In John chapter 1, verse 40, we read these words. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He had heard John the Baptist speak. He had followed John the Baptist, and most likely Peter was following John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist came as a front runner to the Messiah, to the Christ. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Now Jesus looked at him. This is an intriguing word. The word looked indicates a look of penetration. It is not a mere glance in the original language. You could properly translate this. He looked through him. He investigated him. He looked at Peter as no one else had ever looked at Peter. It was not a mere glance. Here was a penetration. Have you ever looked at somebody who seems to just know the motivation of your heart? People who seem to have the gift of discernment can do that. But Peter had Jesus look at him and penetrate him. And he said to him, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. He said, Your name is Simon, but you'll be called Peter. Now, Cephas is the Aramaic form for Peter. And what does Peter mean? Peter is the Greek word petros, which means a detached but large fragment of a rock. A detached but large fragment of a rock. And Jesus, when he penetrated Peter and looked at him, what he was saying is, right now you're Simon, but there's coming a day when you're going to be changed, when you're going to be transformed. You'll no longer be Simon the fisherman. Someday you will be rock-like in character. Someday you will be firm in strength of soul. Someday your character will be different. And he looked for that day, and what an encouragement to Peter that must have been. Could we term it an up experience in his spiritual life? That this was the fulfillment of his dreams, that someday he would meet the Messiah. And now that day had come. From a boy, he had learned about it. His parents, I'm sure, had taught him about this. He had studied the Word of God, and now he was face to face with the fulfillment of the prophecy of Scripture, who said to him, this is what you are, this is what you will be. John Stott, in quoting about this, says this, This was Simon's first introduction to the one who was to become the object of all his hopes. He accompanied him, he heard him, he watched him, and he wondered at him. Gradually, the fiery hope, which had smoldered in his heart since boyhood, began to glow until at Caesarea Philippi, among the hills at the foot of Mount Hermon, it burst into flame with his great confession of faith, and he said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. His hope was realized. And it had burned and burned and burned, and still, as John Stott says, it just burst into flames with that great confession of faith. But he was a man who also knew disappointment. He knew lows in his spiritual life. He knew those dark moments that all of us have experienced. He misunderstood the work of Christ when he said, you will not go to the cross. He misunderstood that. Imagine to be told by your closest friend, get thee behind me, Satan. Imagine to be told by God that Satan had so influenced you, you wanted to thwart the greatest work that would ever take place in all of history. He was the one who refused to allow Jesus to wash his feet because he thought if this is Messiah, then how can Messiah do such a job that's only fit for a servant and a slave? Jesus picturing and symbolizing that he would wash them by the cross, but they need a daily cleansing. He said, Peter, if I don't wash you, you're none of mine. You have no place with me. Peter had a low experience. Perhaps his lowest experience was that 
He boasted he was prepared to die for Christ. He boasted that he would follow Jesus anywhere and do anything for him. But he denied him not once, but three times. He cursed. He wept bitterly. You ever see that painting of Jesus looking at Peter? That's one of the most dramatic paintings I have ever seen of Jesus once again penetrating Peter. Peter in the court just being so humiliated and so embarrassed and so frustrated because he had denied his Lord and cursed and wept bitterly. He probably followed the crowds up to Calvary, though the scripture doesn't tell us this. Probably followed the crowds up to the mountain and watched the authorities as they crucified the Lord Jesus. He saw the end. His hope was extinguished. His heart was chilled. His Messiah was gone and dead. Now, it's hard for any of us to imagine what Peter went through those two days. All your hopes are over. All your aspirations, your dreams lay buried in a tomb. Everything that you had ever dreamed of, all your hope to be without hope is the worst thing that a person can ever experience. But just as low as that was, I don't think any of us can know the thrill that Peter must have experienced when on that third day, news came to him that Jesus had arisen from the dead. Peter and John both ran to the sepulcher, only to find the tomb was empty and the body was gone. How the next thing transpired, we are not told. But we are told that Jesus first appeared to Peter before he appeared to the rest of his apostles. And we find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 5. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Most of us know that, but maybe you're not familiar with the next part. That he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. What an experience that must have been. What he said, I don't know. Peter knows, God knows. But we do know this, that hope was reborn in Peter's heart that day. Because for the first time, he realized and finally realized that Christ had to suffer for our sins and be raised again. Hope was reborn in his heart that someday Jesus would return in his final glory. Now, why do we go over all this? What has this got to do with First Peter? The point of all this is that God was preparing Peter to write this letter. God was working in Peter's life to understand what it's like to go through suffering to go through trials and testings, to know what it's like to feel that you're without hope, and to know what it's like to have hope reborn in your heart. And that's just what this passage is about. Because these people were like Peter. In the midst of their trials and testings, they had a distorted perspective of their salvation, of God's kingdom, of the Messiah. And it's so easy when suffering comes to not remember the hope that God has for us. They needed to be reminded that they had hope because of the resurrection of Christ, a living hope. And Peter is the perfect person to tell them about that because what they need to hear, he's experienced. As I studied this scripture, I thought, what an encouragement to me, what an encouragement to you that God, as he was preparing Peter, is preparing you for something. Obviously not to write scripture, but that God is so vitally interested in us that he has something very special for you that he's preparing you for. You know, in 2 Corinthians, we're told, and I suppose we'll get into this in more depth as we study 1 Peter, that one of the reasons that God lets us suffer is so that he might comfort us. And the primary reason that he lets us suffer and comforts us is that when someone else goes through suffering, we can comfort them, as Paul said, 
with the comfort that God has comforted you. God is preparing you, and I don't know the trials that you're going through. I don't know the tests that you're going through. You don't know the tests that I go through. But I know that God is going to use it in your life to cause you to minister to somebody. If you don't just quit and run away, thank God Peter didn't quit. That's what I appreciate about him. Though the time and the day got dark, Peter was able to rebound. Though he was up and down, he wasn't out. He repented. He was a big enough man to admit he was wrong and to accept God's forgiveness and to go on and minister. And he let God use his past failures and experiences to minister to others. And that's what God wants to do with you and with me. The past is over. Let God use that. Don't get on a guilt trip. Let God use that to cause you to be able to go on and further serve him. God will use anything in your life. I find most of the time in my life, God uses my failures more than my successes to encourage people and minister. Let's look at the text. All by way of introduction, we do have an outline tonight. You know I couldn't teach without an outline. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens. Peter is writing to a group of Christians he calls aliens. In the King James Version, it says strangers. The word strangers in our English language, when we hear that word, we think of someone with whom we're not acquainted, someone who's a foreigner, someone whom we don't know very well. But the Greek word means much more than that. The Greek word, and I'm going to try to pronounce it right, parapidemo. And it's taken from three words, para, which means alongside of, epi, which means upon, and demos, which is used in biblical Greek to refer to a people of a heathen city. Let me put it all together. In other words, what Peter is saying is that these people are those who are Christians who have settled down alongside of the unsaved. These are aliens because they're Christians and they have settled down alongside of a heathen people, the unsaved people, like us. We are Christians who God has strategically placed us in a world and we've settled down alongside of unsaved friends, unsaved neighbors, unsaved relatives, unsaved school acquaintances, unsaved business associates. We are aliens. We are strangers. In a sense, we are not like anyone else. As Peter will tell us later, we are a peculiar people. We are strangers. And then he says something else. He says, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And some of these things are technical, and we just want to get out from this part. But the word scattered is the Greek word diaspora, which can be translated the dispersion. Maybe in your translation it has that term, the dispersion. Now, this is interesting, technical but interesting. The term the dispersion was a term used to classify Jewish people living outside of Palestine. And they would just say that these people who did not live in Jerusalem or Palestine were those of the dispersion. I want you to look in your Bibles to John chapter 7. You'll see how this is used. It's very interesting because from this, I think we can make a wrong conclusion, which I will try to correct, but a lot of commentators, in my opinion, have made a wrong conclusion from this. John chapter 7, verse 33. Jesus therefore said, For a little while longer I'm with you. Then I go to him who sent me. Now, he's obviously speaking about going back to him, but they misunderstood he said, you shall seek me and you shall not find me. For where I am, you cannot come. The Jews therefore said one to another, where does this man intend to go that we shall not find him? He's not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? For a Jew to live outside of Palestine meant that he was part of the dispersion. He lived amongst the Greek 
Gentile people. Now, from that, some have concluded that the people that Peter is writing to are Jewish Christians. There are some also who say that the people he's writing to are Gentile Christians. I believe, and I think I can show from Scripture, that the people that Peter is writing to are Jewish and Gentile Christians. And most commentaries will state that they're Jewish Christians, which I think misses a great deal of this book. And let me show you. Let's look at the one reason why there were Jews who Peter was writing to. First of all, Peter is the apostle to the Jews, right? Just as Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. So it only makes sense that he's going to minister to Jews. Secondly, there are many Old Testament quotations, quotes, in this book, which would make sense that the people familiar with this and the people who Peter is relating to are Jewish Christians. Not only that, there is much Old Testament terminology and allusions in this book, this letter. But as far as the Gentiles, get ready in your Bible, 1 Peter, to turn there. To say that it's only Jewish Christians is to miss much of this book. In chapter 1, verse 18, he says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. The Jewish people did not have a futile way of life inherited from their forefathers. They had a rich heritage. And Peter would not say to any Jew that you had a futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. That could only refer to Gentiles who had a pagan upbringing. Secondly, look at chapter 2, verse 10. This could not refer to the Jewish people. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Obviously, he's referring to Gentiles who never entered into the commonwealth of Israel. Then chapter 4, verse 3. For the time already is past for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. This is not the picture of Jewish people in that day and age. He said you've carried out the desires of the Gentiles. Because why? Because they are Gentiles. And then if we go back to the first chapter, verse 14, as obedient children do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. That's a picture of Gentile pagan ignorance. The Jews had the Bible. They were not ignorant. They were rebellious. But the Gentiles were ignorant as well as rebellious. And so I think from that we can conclude that the dispersion here is used in the sense to describe Christians, Jews and Gentiles, who are not only scattered over the face of the earth, but also away from their true homeland. Not Palestine, but heaven. They were on earth, but Paul says your citizenship is in heaven. And so I think that Peter is using this in a spiritual sense that your true home, your real home is not here. You're like an alien scattered here because your real home is in heaven from whence your salvation comes. They were scattered in the Roman provinces located in Asia Minor. Not really in Asia, but Asia Minor. And today, just for your own understanding, today that would be modern-day Turkey. That's where Peter is writing. That's the location in the world. They were people being persecuted for their faith. Now, the Jewish Christians might not have had a big problem with being persecuted for their faith because, quite frankly, the Jewish people have always been persecuted. And we stated last week that anti-Semitism was really a big thing in Rome at that time and a big thing throughout the Roman provinces. So to the Jewish Christians, it would be really something old for them. But this would be something new for Gentile Christians. They had never been persecuted. It's just like in our day and age. For someone, let's say from my background, 
being raised in New York to hear things against the Jews wouldn't startle me. But for you to be persecuted because you're a Gentile might be something new to some of you. You ought to try it someday. That's the kind of setting. This is new. This is a totally new experience for most of these people, who probably most of them were Gentiles at this point. Thank you for joining us on today's Verse by Verse program. What did you take away from the teaching today? Here are some things I noticed. Peter reminded his readers and us that we are not at home in this world. We are aliens. That is something we need to remember. There are times we are way too comfortable with this world. The other topic addressed today was persecution, something the Jewish readers understood, but was a new reality for the Gentile Christians. We're going to continue looking at this idea in the next Verse by Verse program, so I hope you're able to join us. If for some reason you can't, please surf over to versebyverseradio.org and check out our archives page where you can catch any programs you may have missed. That's versebyverseradio.org. 